0: Merry Christmas to you. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. Maybe you're already there from our scripture reading earlier, but we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I don't know about you, but I've been listening to days, when you add it all up, days worth of Christmas songs in the last month. It's been a never-ending playlist. It's at the house. We put it on when we get ready. Then we transfer it to the car. And then, once I'm done with work at church, picking up the kids, it's on again. And then at dinner, we're listening to it again. So, literally, you add it up over the course of, you know, the 24 days we've experienced in December so far. uh, We've added up some serious hours in Christmas listening. Now, In all of the the natural playlists that are accumulated for me, whether it be on Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music or whichever streaming service I decide to use that day, the song that we just sang has yet to show up on my playlist. Has it shown up on yours? Its heavy tune carries a heavy message. One that just seems a little out of tune with what's going on around us. You may not realize it, but Christians have been using the words from that song to worship for over 1,500 years. It's one of the oldest known hymns in existence. With this song, they've solemnly celebrated the eternal God becoming man, To save humanity. And since Christmas is indeed the celebration of Christ, it should be the quintessential song of the season. Now take that song and compare it to what we normally hear. I did some research just to try to figure out what are the most popular Christmas songs because it seems like the same ones just keep showing up over and over again. And I looked at two different sources. The first was from the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, and they have accumulated a list of top 25 holiday songs for the 21st century. So we're talking about the 18 years, last 18 years, 17 years. Uh, they are as follows Number five, White Christmas. Number four, Winter Wonderland. Number three, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Number two, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And number one, The Christmas Song or Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Now, That's just one list. I I even wanted to see, all right, maybe that list is a little dated because it it covers the span of 17 years. What were the most popular songs the last week, this last week before Christmas? Thankfully, uh, Nielsen Music has analyzed sales data and radio airplay time, and we've come up with a more recent list of what's most popular. Again, just top five. I'm not going to bore you with a ton of details. Number five this week, A Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives. Number four, The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. I love that one. Number three, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams. Number two, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Oh, Brenda Lee, bringing us up to number two. And then number one, surprise me, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. (laughs) Now, as you analyze these lists, do you notice anything missing? I want to point out what's not missing. What's not missing, the thing that Christians seem to get all up in arms about every Christmas, is the name Christmas. It's in all these songs. Holly Jolly Christmas, Christmas Song, "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, All I Want for Christmas is You, White Christmas. I mean, like, it's there. It's not the name Christmas that's missing, it's, it's the content. It's It's Christ. In fact, as I dug through these lists, it didn't take too long, but the only Christian song I could find in the top 25 for this century was Little Drummer Boy, if you could even call that a Christian song. Mary Did You Know was somewhere around 20 or 30. "Oh, Holy Night was in the 50s somewhere. Oh, Come All You Faithful was down around 73. Silent Night was at 79. And the first Noel just did sneak in there at number 99. So what's the big deal? Why would we even care? Well, I, I want to make an observation. As we've had this tendency over years now of replacing what I would call Christologically weighty material with superficially light christmas themed music it's had adverse side effects you know what they are consumerism sentimentalism rule the day i mean for most of us christmas isn't worship christmas is stuff christmas is memories Hey, and I'm not opposing stuff or memories. We had to open up presents this morning because we'll be traveling tonight to get to North Carolina. And I was really grateful for my stuff. And my kids were certainly grateful for their stuff too. I'm not knocking stuff. I'm not knocking cinnamon. Cinnamon is a wonderful byproduct of the season. I love the memories. I love the traditions. And we'll talk more about that tonight but these can't carry the day. As cool as the stuff is, as cool as the sentiments are, they're they're missing something. They divert our attention away from something eternal, something substantive, something significant. Here's how it normally works. Starting sometime, well, it used to be after Thanksgiving. Now it's like after Halloween. We begin to get this buildup. For Christmas, right? You start introducing some ornaments, bringing out some decorations. You start baking some treats, watching some Christmas specials. You behold the sights and the sounds of the seasons. You got your playlist going. And it all culminates, at least for many of us. I know this isn't everyone's experience, especially if you're older. But for many of us, it culminates on Christmas morning. And it's like you're at the peak, and then there's this crash. Now, maybe I'm just like Mr. Melancholy. But for me, like the saddest like few hours of any year for me was always like the afternoon of Christmas. Because I realized, "Oh man, it's over." <laughs> like now we've got a dirty house. Now we're in debt when we weren't before. Now I feel disgusting because I've eaten so much food. Now, I'm left with my depressing thoughts about all the things that I didn't finish in the last year because the new year's coming. I mean, like, it's a horrible time. <laughs> it's the Christmas high and the Christmas crash. <laughs> That's what sentiment gets you. That's what stuff gets you. When what I'm trying to propose is that even when we try to mix in some healthy doses of spiritual things and moral motivations, we still come up short. It still seems like something's missing. In the end, there's a a cheapness, a hollowness, a, a superficiality we can't shake. To quote that great theologian, Dr. Seuss. The Grinch says, or excuse me, the narrator says of the Grinch, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means... A little bit more. Good question. What if it does mean more? Not just than stuff. We all know that. But what if it means more than sentiment? What if it means more than tradition? See, our current experience is kind of like filling up on Christmas cookies and candy. When a turkey dinner really awaits you. It's good It's sweet, it's nice, but it just doesn't last. Or it's kind of like receiving a Merry Christmas text message. Oh, how thoughtful. Better than nothing. But compare the Merry Christmas text message with the handwritten letter. It's meaningful. It's substantive. It seems to me when I I sing a song, Like the one we just sang, let all mortal flesh be silent. I'm getting closer to that missing ingredient, that soul-quenching stuff, whatever it is, the significance of Christmas that the eternal God became human to save humanity. And thus, you begin to see the relevance of our text this morning. As it captures the greatness of Christmas. T- to me, John one verses one and two aren't just Christmas in general, but they're like Christmas concentrate. Nobody uses it anymore, but you remember when you used to buy orange juice concentrate, and you add the water. This is this is Christmas concentrated into two verses for us. It captures the significance of the Christ that we celebrate. And we're going to see as we look at this that we aren't merely celebrating an empty legend like a Santa Claus or an Easter bunny. John's record of the invasion of God into this world is historic. As you read through the entire book, you'll find it replete with objectivity. Verifiable names, locations, and events. But. That's not to say that we're merely celebrating a historical figure like George Washington or Martin Luther King Jr. or Abraham Lincoln. You see, the Christ of Christmas presented in this text transcends history. He reigns over it as eternal God. And so John's introductory words here actually enable us to feel what's missing, that missing weight behind that which we've chosen to celebrate this season. And it accomplishes this by disclosing the identity of Jesus Christ. That's the key to capturing the significance of Christmas. It rests in understanding who it is we're actually celebrating and what He alone has accomplished. So I want to help you this morning. I want to help us all. Recapture the significance of Christmas. And I'll do this simply by pointing out three attributes of this Christ that we celebrate Three attributes of this Christ that we celebrate. The first that I want you to notice here from these verses is that the Christ of Christmas that we celebrate exists eternally. The Christ of Christmas exists eternally. Eternally. Note again in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then notice again verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. John conveyed that the Jesus who entered human history existed in eternity past. What does that sound like to you when you read John 1.1? In the beginning. In the beginning. You remember that. Genesis 1.1. He's bringing our minds back to that which preceded creation. To eternity past. He's saying that Jesus was there. He is... Showing Him to be, to use an Aristotelian term, the first cause, the prime mover. He is the one who preceded creation. Now, we normally think this is true of the Father. It's true. God the Father did exist before creation. But here, John explicitly says that this is true of the Son. You say, well, the text says the Word. When you read the entire introduction, you realize that he's just using the word as a surname for Jesus. So I'll explain that more in a moment. But John gives us the real beginning of Jesus' ministry. See, normally we think of the beginning of Jesus as happening in Matthew 1, or Luke 1, right? But that's just the beginning of his earthly ministry. Or for those of you who are with us through our study in the Gospel of Mark, he says similar terminology, the beginning. But he's talking about the, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So we've got his human ministry here on earth, Matthew, Luke. We've got his public ministry, Mark. And here is the true beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we realize beginning's not even a good term. It was before that. He is eternal. See, Jesus' story didn't start in Bethlehem. If that's where you think it all began, I could see why you have such a shallow understanding of Christmas. Here, John ascribes to Christ eternity. That's a feature of him. Like, one of my features and yours, temporality. His eternity, and that only belongs to God. There was never a time in which he was not. Think about that for a moment. There was never a time in which he was not. Or Here's another mind-blowing statement that represents this test, text well. His was the only birth that was not the beginning of the life born. His was the only birth that was not the beginning of the life born. See, at Christmas we celebrate the invasion of the eternal into our temporality, and it makes your head hurt to try to grasp I was delighted to discover a recent update on my iPhone. Normally, I get annoyed by those things because they make me turn my phone off and then back on again. For bug fixes. But the other day, I not only got bug fixes, but I got a whole new host of emojis. It was really exciting. Now I know what some of you are thinking. It's not very masculine to use emojis. Listen, emojis are my wife's love language. If I just send her a text, she thinks I'm angry. But I throw a few happy faces in there. The, the, the guy with the tears crying and the smile, like, she's cool, right? So dudes, I'm not going to send you one probably, but I will probably send one to my wife. That being said, I was scrolling, looking for that right emoji to connect with my wife, and I, I was actually blown away to find a blown away emoji. It's a new one. So the dude has got his yellow face, like always. His mouth is open in surprise. And his eyes are down. And then the top half of his head is like missing. And there's a mushroom cloud coming out of it. Have you seen this? Please don't look for it now. (laughs) But when you hover over it, if you're doing this in iMessage, you hover over it, it'll tell you what the name of it is. This one's called Exploding Head. (laughs) They gave it a name. I love that because there are times where you know, that emoji can just capture something that the word never could. When I read about the eternality of Christ, I don't know how to put it into words, but I could send you an emoji. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. I, I am too humanly limited. I don't have the right words to convey how significant this is. The glory of His eternality makes my mind explode with this thought that not only God the Father, but God the Son never had a beginning. He simply always was. What other historical figure does that? I think I've told you in times past, I'm a pretty big George Washington fan. Read several books, Like to visit Mount Vernon. But how does Washington compare to eternal Christ? Hey look, I love Santa Claus legends as much as the next guy. But even if I bought into the legend, eternal existence? We're dealing with something unparalleled. Admittedly, some have tried to escape this tension by denying the plain meaning of these verses. For some, for some that you may even know, Jesus is simply a created figure, a spiritual man. It's really kind of funny if you think about this from a secularist perspective that this guy who was born of a supposed uh, woman of ill repute, again, buying in only to the secularist interpretation. A woman of ill repute, a carpenter, and then all of a sudden, like literally, t- like time splits over his birth. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. You've B.C., A.D., I know we've changed it to Common Era now. But somebody so normal would command such an attention for the world if it was just this human being being born? Some try to give Jesus a little more credit, but they can't go to eternality because how in the world would anybody ever be eternal and exist before they were born? And a good example of this, and I say this kindly, would be Jehovah's Witnesses. If any of you know someone who belongs to that faith, or claims to belong to that faith, they say that, well, Jesus actually was created. Well, actually Jesus wasn't created. Michael the archangel was created to be the most powerful angel of all time. And through Michael the archangel, the whole world was going to be created. And then when he, Michael the archangel took on flesh, he then became Jesus of Nazareth. And then when he died on the cross, he dissipated and became Michael. The, it's a crazy thing. But my point is, Not everyone who claims to be worshiping Christ at Christmas is worshiping the Christ revealed in the Bible. This is eternal God, uncreated. The text makes it so clear because it says, look in verse 3, I know we're moving ahead, but it says all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. How in the world could Jesus be made if literally all things were made by Him, and in case you didn't get it, Not anything was made without Him. He says it positively and negatively. Jesus was the one that was doing it all. He was the one that was there at the beginning. You can't be Creator and created. Something had to exist before. I love talking to agnostic people about that. When they said, yes, everything came from a big bang and these atoms and molecules collided with one another. Well, where did the atoms and molecules come from? Nobody would look at a book like this pretend this was just a normal book for a moment, and say, oh, well, this just appeared. They would know that if something had to precede it, I mean, it's got a nice leather cover. It's got gold gilded pages, not real gold, just colors. (laughs) I mean, it's got print. It's in order. Like Nobody says this just happened. And in a similar way, we know that this world didn't just happen. Something had to be there before that. And the text clearly reveals for us, this wasn't just God the Father, but God the Son Himself was there before it all, bringing it all into existence. He existed eternally. And so if you want your Christmas to mean a little more, think on this. Jesus wasn't just born (laughs) 2,000 plus years ago. He existed before that. Don't dismiss this essential backstory. He was eternal God, and He came into this earth. I will explain the significance of this more in just a moment, but we need to quickly move on. If we're going to recapture the significance of Christmas, we need to recapture the significance of Christ. And to recapture the significance of Christ, we first noted that He exists eternally. But secondly, we note that He also embodies deity. So Jesus not only exists eternally, but Jesus also embodied deity. Look at those same two verses again. In the beginning was the Word, and now note this. And the Word was with God. That's one thing. And the Word was God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John unequivocally communicates that Jesus is fully God. This is the unique content of the Christian faith, by the way. This is what makes the Christian faith stand out. I just want to point out without boring everybody on Christmas Eve morning that the grammar here is phenomenal. It's unmistakable. Many of you know that the Bible was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew largely. Portions of it are in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, now a dead language. Which is good because it's been frozen in time for us. We can understand it. So, people will actually study this and they, they try to understand the language and then they interpret it for us. And every major Bible translation for 2,000 years has gotten this right. Uh, typically interpreting John 1, 1 with something like this. Um, what God was, the Word was. That's a good way to say it. Or, the Word was truly divine. No matter what you look at, I mean, people who know Greek, people who know the Bible, understand that the construction here emphasizes that the Word had all the attributes and the qualities of God. The God. The phrase expresses the idea that the Word was God and yet was distinct from the Father in the most possible way. But some people, though, have... Gone in errant direction on this. Now, time out for a moment. I realize that I have a lot of visitors here today, but I need to do some pastoral work. So if you're visiting, please forgive me. I'm going to do about four minutes of some theology stuff. You can check out if you like, but check back in when I'm done, okay? For those of you who normally attend here, you need to understand something. I have been facing a battle here at this church that I did not expect to fight. I never in my life would have anticipated growing up in Eastern North Carolina in the Bible Belt. I just assumed that everybody would agree with me that Jesus was God. And yet I come down to Naples, Florida, and I meet some of the first people who claim to be Christians and yet also say that Jesus is not God. He is a God. So I can't talk to all these people, but you can, you know them. Let me help you help them for a moment, okay? The reason why they would say on the basis of John 1.1 1, 1, that Jesus was a God is because, and get ready for some grammar here, there's no definite article, the, in our English language, before God in the Greek text. So you, you understand the difference between definite and indefinite. Um, I would say a piano. That means I'm referring to any piano anywhere. When I say the piano, I'm referring to this piano. If I say a woman, I could be referring to half the people in the room. When I say the woman, I'm referring to this one here on the front row. If I say a God, I could be referring to any type of deific figure. If I say the God, I'm talking about the eternal God himself. So they say, well, look, there's no article here. Therefore, it should be translated a God. Jesus was a God. But here's the thing. Greek doesn't work the same way English does. What you need to understand is that in Greek, and I'm not making this stuff up, definiteness does not occur merely with an article. And I can prove this to you. Because I would take that same group of people who translate this verse, a God. And I've looked in their Bible, their own translation recognizes 266 times where the word God occurs without an article. And guess what? 94% of the time, they translate it as God, not a God. 94% of the time, in their own Bible, they also know and recognize that you don't have to have an article to make something definite. This is talking about God. Actually, we already see it here. In the beginning was the Word. Well, notice the beginning. The beginning doesn't have an article in front of it, but we know it's talking about the beginning. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Look, here's another one. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Guess what? There's no article in front of God in the Greek in verse 6. But everybody understands it. Even the New World Translation translates this, God, not a God. My point to you, brothers and sisters, is that the the languages don't work the same way, but we need to help people understand that somebody has tricked them into thinking that Jesus is not who the Bible represents Him to be. The text is clear. Jesus is God, just like God the Father, God the Spirit. And I can't overemphasize this. He's not only God, but He is also two distinct persons. Notice that He says not only that He was God, but that He was with God. Now, we don't need a preposition lesson here, but when I talk about somebody being with me, it kind of like uh, cuts off the possibility that they are the same as me. If I say, she's with me. Well, she's not the same as me, she's just with me. She's in close association with me. Notice that he says here, not only Jesus was God, but he says that he was with God. So he shares the same essence as God, but he is a different person than God. This is where we get the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. The best understanding of John's affirmations in John 1.1 1, 1, then is that Jesus shared the same essence of the Father, though they differed in person. All that can be said about God can be said of Jesus. And this is why, by the way, serious hymns of Christmas repeatedly affirm this reality. That's what they're celebrating. As complex as it may seem to you, This is what Christmas is about. Hark the herald angels sing. You know that song? Listen to these lines. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Bailed in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pretty strong. Here's another one. The first Noel. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord who hath made heaven and earth of naught and with His blood mankind hath bought. Or then the song we just sang a few moments ago, let all mortal flesh be silent. Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth He stood, Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. This is the unique message of Christianity. God came to save us Himself. Why do you think that Matthew chapter 1 the beloved story of Christmas that we so often read at this time calls Jesus Emmanuel. Remember what that means? God with us. Not angel with us. Not historical figure with us. But God with us. We needed God to save us. The problem that we had was our sin. And God, as we saw last week, hates sin. So He's going to have to be the one to fix this thing. And so He does. He enters into our world. God Himself enters into our world to fix our problem. And so we worship not just a baby, but God in Christ who exists eternally, who embodies deity, and who expresses the Lord perfectly. The Christ of Christmas that we celebrate today, tomorrow, every day expresses God perfectly. Look at this again, and you've seen it repeated three times. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Why does he call him the Word? What's the big deal with that? Why, why does he give him this title? Well, John calls him the Word or the speech of God. In nature, God has revealed himself, as it were, inarticulately in articulately and indistinctly. So when we look around at the creation around us, I was arguing a minute ago, yes, we know that God exists. Obviously, to have creation, you must have a creator. But we don't know that much about God through that. We just know that He's powerful. But more clearly, God spoke. He communicated who He was through His Son. This the Word. Jesus is the unfolding of the Father's thoughts. He is the revelation of the Father's heart. He that has seen Christ has seen the Father. Socrates asked, Wouldst thou have me see thee? Then speak, for speech reveals the man. Would you see God? Listen to Christ. For He is God's Word, revealing the very heart of deity. So what does He express about Him? Well, in the Old Testament, which John was thoroughly acquainted with, God's Word was frequently associated with His power to create and His power to save. He would talk about The Word. Through through the Word, God spoke the worlds into existence. At God's very Word, He liberated His people from the Egyptian armies. It is a a change agent. If, If I say something, very little happens. Just ask my children. Clean your room. Well, sometimes it happens the way I want it to. It doesn't always happen the way I want it to. We know the futility of our words. We send them, and they don't always accomplish their intended task. They don't always communicate what we want them to communicate. They don't always accomplish what we want them to accomplish. Sometimes they actually do the opposite of what we wanted to accomplish. Anybody married or in a relationship knows what that means. Our words, we can't control them. They're kind of impotent, they're weak, they're futile, and yet the Word of God revealed in the Old Testament always accomplished its intended purpose. That's what Jesus is. He is the one perfectly representing the Father. He is the one embodying the Father's power and His plan to save. When we look at Jesus, and you have to switch the metaphor here. When you look at the Word, when you look at Jesus and you see His life, and you see the power that He exercises, you know what God is like. As He conquers demons, and as He conquers disease, and as He overcomes natural disasters as He declares the truth uh, about how to be reconciled to God, you look at Him, you hear Him, you see what's recorded of the Scriptures in His Word, and you're like, that's what God's like. And there's no place in which we see the picture of God more clearly than when Jesus, in full capacity of His own destiny, chooses to go to the cross to give His life as a ransom for many. People say, I don't like the picture of God that I see in the Old Testament. No. There's only one God. He's shown Himself in the Old and New Testaments. Yes, He is holy and He hates sin, but He is also loving and shows grace as evidenced by the fact that He Himself would take on flesh so that He could die to satisfy the price of our sin and then rise again to give us hope that we too could conquer death. That's God! God! When we look at Jesus, we see Him. So the Christ of Christmas exists eternally, embodies deity, represents God perfectly. So what? How, Justin, is this theology lesson going to enhance my appreciation or celebration of Christmas? Come on, I brought my family here, I brought my friends here, and here you are droning on about the attributes of Jesus. You promised one thing, but you did a bait and switch because I'm not feeling any more happy about Christmas than I did 30 minutes ago. All right, fair. Let me bring it together. Why does the divine identity of Jesus matter? Because it underscores the seriousness of. Of the Incarnation. It shows you what it's actually about. I remember July 4th as a child. Honestly thinking. I had no clue. Never read an American history book. I just thought that July 4th was about hot dogs and fireworks. Now if I were to grow up without any historical underpinnings for the 4th of July as an American citizen. And I just look around and think, what is up with all the hot dogs and the fireworks? Like it would get old after a while. Until somebody fills me in on what we're actually celebrating. For some of you in the public school system, you may not actually know what we're celebrating on July 4th. I apologize. Come ask me afterwards. Same thing could be true of a Veterans Day or Memorial Day. My kids, just the other day, we were, I forgot where we were, but the flag was at half-staff. And they said, Dad, why are they, what's the deal with the flag? Why is it at half-staff? I was like, oh, well, it's Pearl Harbor Day. All right, Pearl Harbor Day, what's that? And then I explained to them what happened on that fateful day and all those men who died, and how that brought the United States into this war and engaged. And we talked about my grandfather who also fought in World War II uh, in the Pacific Theater. I mean, it just brought it back. Look, you know what? the kid They actually appreciated that day a little more. What I'm giving you here today, what John is revealing for us, is the true significance. See, what you've had is shadow. What the Word offers us is substance. It may not look as good as the Christmas cookies. But it will satisfy you a lot longer to meditate on. This Christmas, in eternal, divine, God-showing Christ. Because that's what it's about. That's why Christians chose, by the way, they chose to celebrate this. Jesus wasn't actually born on December the 25th. But we chose to recognize it. We chose to remember His incarnation if anyone's captured this well. It was Max Licato in his book, God Came Near. Listen to his words as we summarize this. He says, In reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became Man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made Himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And He who sustains the world with a word... Chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. At Christmas, God came down. Now that's significant. recapture the significance of Christmas. I'll give you four recommendations. And just knowing how things work, knowing how I work, I need to encourage you to do something before we even get into these. Listen to them all, but only pick one. I'm giving you four. Just pick one. If you want to recapture the significance of the Christ of Christmas first... You may need to recognize the Christ of Christmas as God. You may need to recognize the Christ of Christmas as God. Don't fall for a counterfeit Christ. Christianity is unique among the world's religions in proposing that there is no way that man, through anything that he could do, could ever reach God, but that God Himself came down to save man. God did it. God did it in Jesus, not some created angelic being, not just some neat historical figure. It was God Himself. One author wrote that any lesser Christ, talking about one less than divine, if you don't recognize Jesus as fully human, fully divine, he says their Christ might be admired, but they cannot be worshipped. They might inspire religious devotion, but they cannot sustain or explain Christian faith. They tell us very much about their authors and very little about Jesus. They are inevitably half-breed Christs. They are half-ancient and half-modern. And these Christs are impotent. And their appeal is superficial. And their appeal is not that of the biblical Christ. Take your eyes and look a little farther down the page there in John 1 to verse 12. Right at the heart of this chapter. Notice this, "...but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." You must get Jesus right. That's why Jesus says, and John quotes Jesus saying in 1 John 2.23, "...no one who denies the Son has the Father." Or 2 John 9, anyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. Do you understand that if you don't get Jesus right, you miss it all? Probably the strongest comes from John chapter 8, verse 24. He says, I told you, this is Jesus speaking, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, In the context, he's talking about God's Son being equal with with the Father. You will die in your sins. So some of you need to recognize Him as God. Maybe you've had a lesser conception of Christ. You need to adjust that understanding and submit it to the Word today. But some of you, I really believe, probably most of you recognize Him as God. So maybe that's not the suggestion you need to take away today. Maybe what you need is to rely on him as god see it's one thing to recognize him it's another thing to rely on him god forbid it but imagine that you were in a situation or a scenario in which you had eaten too much at christmas and since it's florida you went swimming too soon and you started drowning in a pool hypothetical but i throw you a life raft the little lifesaver, the ring, and you see it floating there. It is within your grasp. And you could fully understand the physical properties of a life preserve. You could totally get that its spherical shape is actually helpful for you to be able to stick an arm through and somebody be able to pull you back. You could understand that it's made of a buoyant material that stays above the water as opposed to sinks below it. You can know that it's attached to a rope so that someone could actually pull you back. But who cares how much you know about the physics of a life preserver or a life grab if you don't grab onto it. Some of you, you grew up in church. You grew up in Sunday school. You know all this stuff about Jesus. I mean, even complex concepts like me saying, Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. I mean, the, the theological terms you may even know. Hypostatic union. Trinity. You even know what He came down to do. But you have yet to rely on Him alone. You are still looking elsewhere for significance and safety. He is not that which rescues. He's just available. You want Christmas to mean something? Beyond recognizing who Christ is, you should rely on who Christ is and what He's done for you. And I say this kindly, but if you're from a Roman Catholic background especially, and you think that there's some type of religious experience or ritual that you could do to get your way to God, you're not relying on Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. Paul recorded it this way, there is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That priest at your local parish is not your mediator. Mary, as cool as she is, is not your mediator. Jesus alone is your mediator, and you must rely on him alone if Christmas will mean anything to you this year. So we recognize, we rely. A third thing we could do is respond to him as God. Some claim to recognize Jesus, some claim to rely on Him, but there's this high percentage of people who actually don't respond to Him as God. Jesus is God, He's not just some good guy from history, and what you need to get is that following Him, if you say that you're following Jesus, if you know who He is and you're relying on Him, that has implications for your life, people. Like, if you say you serve God, and that you have a relationship with Him, you look different. Things change. That's why Jesus said it this way. Not everyone who says to me, talking about Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But notice this, the one who does the will of my Father. If you've recognized Jesus to be Lord, why would you not live for Him? If you truly have recognized Him as such. That's why He says, notice this, I love it. Not all those who say to me with their lips, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. Or even James chapter 2, the brother of our Lord warns us, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? Even the devils believe and tremble. My friend, hear me. There are results. Listen, I'm not saying there are requirements. I'm not telling you you need to go clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Let's get our R's straight. I said there are results, not requirements of following Jesus. Some of the results of following Jesus is that your life looks different. He's God. What if I told you today that on our way to this service, my wife and kids were all bundled up in the car, ready to go, and then as we're pulling through one of these lights over here, a dump truck loaded with rocks plowed into us. If I told you that really happened, what would you think? If you see me as I am right now, what would you think? I'm clean. Everybody's here. You look at my car out there. It looks fine. I will say, no, no, no. We, we really did. We got hit by a truck. I promise. I'll say, no, of course not. You don't come in contact with something that powerful and not have any visible evidence. Like, if it impacted you in some way, like, we should be able to see it, right? If that's true of a dump truck... How much more true would that be of the living God of the universe? Do you get what I'm saying when I say respond to Him as God? Here's my concern. Some of you, and I say this compassionately, you may be outright deceived. Like, you may just think, oh, I've had some good religious experiences in the past, and yeah, I like Jesus, I believe that He's God, and sure, I give a head nod to Him at Christmas and Easter, and I think that He's a great guy. That is not making Him Lord. That is not coming to Him, relying on Him alone. It will impact you. And, and so you say, Justin, well, what do I do? If this is me, what do I do? Look, here, here's the most practical thing I could offer you. Any member of this church should be willing to help you with this. If you don't know, you have questions about that, you need to see one of us. You can see me. And we'd be happy to, over the next few weeks, walk through 1 John with you and see if your life lines up with what the Bible says a believer should be. And guess what? We're not going to judge you. We're not going to condemn you. If you get to the point you're like, you know what, I don't think I really have responded to Jesus. Guess what? We're explaining how you respond to Jesus. There's no judgment. This isn't me just beating you down the day before Christmas. All I'm trying to say is that if we rely on Him as God, we will respond to Him as God. We will live lives that reflect the fact that He is God over our lives. And then finally, the final suggestion: we need to rejoice in Him as God. You say, Justin, I heard all the stuff. I got it. I recognize Him. I rely on Him. I've responded to Him. All right, maybe this is you. Just rejoice. Rejoice. This is a good day. God came down. We have been saved. And may I add that it's not just a good day. <laughs> it's a good year. It's a good decade. It's a good century. We don't just celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. It's just an excuse to recognize it. But God came down and we enjoy the benefits of His salvation on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. And guess what? Even at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Day after you've crashed from all the candy and the gifts, He still saved you. Rejoice. I love this passage. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus did it. We rejoice. We rejoice in that. That's a good thing. Elvis asked, why can't every day be like Christmas? (laughs) For the Christian, it can be. Every day. Just like Christmas. Because we realize God came down. So what do you need today? Tired of the Christmas crash? You need to refocus on the divine Christ of Christmas. Ultimately, I want you to be able to rejoice in Him as God, but you'll never be able to rejoice on him, in Him as God until you've responded to Him as God. Maybe you should take us up on that challenge, that invitation. You'll never respond to Him as God until you've relied on Him as God. Have you done that? Do you have questions about that? Please, see us before you go. We'd love to help you with that. Or maybe you haven't relied on Him as God because you haven't recognized Him as God. It has been my prayer this week that God would open your eyes and that you would be able to see who Jesus really is. And you know what? I truly believe that He is answering that prayer and that some of you will recognize Him today and say with Thomas, one of his followers, my Lord and my God. Let's celebrate the divine Christ of Christmas. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? I want to pray for you now and then we'll sing of this Christ. Father, I have asked and I will ask again that everyone in this room would recognize You in Your Son. Or do You even made it clear to Peter when he confessed the same truth that flesh and blood could not make these things knowable, but only your Spirit could reveal them. Only your Spirit could open the eyes. So I pray that your Spirit would do that today. I pray that your Spirit would convict of sin and provide solace and relief in Christ and that people would repent of their sin, rely on you, and respond appropriately. If there's anyone who is living a life for self and yet claiming to be a follower of you or work in their heart today, so that they could know the joy of Christmas. And may we all, not only today, but every day, celebrate what You've done for us in the person of Your Son. And we ask all of this in His name. Amen.